0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Drum Network podcast. I'm the senior reporter for the Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. In this episode, I'm joined by four fantastic guests to discuss all the ongoing travel trends and marketing trends in and around Asia. Uh, It's a huge topic, I say a number of times during the episode that we cannot possibly do it justice, but regardless, we've extended the runtime of this episode just a little bit so you can get even more insight. So I'm joined by Kima John Spears, the APS Group's Fiona Zeng, Emerging Comm's Dominica Dilieto, and Tongue Digital's Adam Knight to discuss everything to do with Asia marketing and retail trends. I began by asking John to explain why there is so much interest in Asia in marketing at the moment. Um, Yeah, thanks,
1: Chris. Um, I think the the main driver is a third of the global population. That'll do it, yeah. (laughs) That's a good starting point, right? So, And and we're not talking about Asia. We're just talking about two countries. Mm. So China and India, 1.4 billion each, Mm. uh, third third of the global population. Um, So that's big, sizable market. And that's why uh, South America and Europe are all all, all going in and why Tom on the call has been very busy uh, (laughs) launching 122 brands there. Um, But um, not only is it big, but it's the middle class, Right so it's the middle middle class rump that people are after because in china they spend 22 billion a day the middle class in china so so the the middle class in china is rising about 6% per annum um uh, that's 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 huge and that will reach about 1.2 billion in 2030 um china usually gets the big conversation and the, and, and and the big call out uh, I, i'm 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 equally as fascinated with india because um, I think India is is has shown perhaps greater resilience to pandemic. Uh, it seems to it seems to take shocks better. Uh, India highly subjective, I, I know, but this is just an intuitive feel. But also in the middle class in in India is rising faster than than China. So in in India it's rising at eight point two percent. These are McKinsey stats as opposed to six percent in China. So from a lower base you're getting about 800 million middle class by 2030. Sizable market. And I'll tell you, since China shut, of course, there's been a big emphasis on India as opposed to China, naturally and logically, if we're talking about travel, especially, um, uh, for, for to, 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 get, to get travelers over there. So that's the, in a nutshell, that's what's driving the interest and why it's climbed the priority list.
0: Nice. Well, you've really teed that up nicely for us. So thanks for that. And Dominica, I wondered then from a brand's perspective, what are the big opportunities that we're seeing? You know, who are the people who are, which are the brands rather, that which are taking advantage of that new middle class, the burgeoning middle class, the best?
2: I can only answer with regards to China. I'm That's not fine. an Indian expert. All good. Um, I think I think that it has hit brands hard, both in market and over here. Um, The board has been closed and I don't foresee that changing anytime soon, especially with our COVID levels. However, I think the biggest opportunity for brands has been the number of Chinese domiciled here and it's growing. And we've seen the largest cohort of Chinese students we've ever seen this September is absolutely astronomical. So universities are actually um, struggling with safety within universities than they are with the numbers, if that sort of makes sense. But it's the fact that these um, consumers are based here, spending money on property, spending money on brands, experiences, travel, domestic travel, hotels, spas, golf, you name it. Mm. Um, and that seems to me to me a little bit bonkers and that, that a lot of brands aren't capitalising on that. I haven't really noticed. And there seems to be this narrative. Oh, they're not coming. They're not coming. Well, they're actually here. Um, And I think Adam will concur with this. They're also sending gifts home. They're telling their their friends and family at home where they should come to when they can come. So it depends on which category we're talking about, whether we're talking about property, whether we're talking about retail, whether we're talking about travel um, as to what the opportunity is. When it comes to talking about the tourism spend, the so travel, retail and the tourism spend, that isn't going to come back until the borders are open and quarantine is lifted in China. Currently, for me, as a Brit, five weeks. No way I can go and see my team at the moment. Yeah. So, But there are opportunities here. There are obviously then opportunities for brands that were already established in China, a lot of which we, we deal with. Um, And there has been an unbelievable amount of movement in China in terms of domestic consumption, domestic travel. Uh, And I would actually say that conversely for brands in market that are already established, not new ones, the um, opportunity and the threat is actually domestic brands and competitors from domestic APAC brands Mm. from Taiwan, from China, um, and from Hong Kong and Singapore – that in certain categories like beauty, that has really hit hard. A lot of beauty brands, a lot of fashion brands, because there are some amazing brands that we talk about a lot, local brands that are now really properly competing with with the Western brand. So I think it really depends on where you're sat. Are you Mm -hmm. a new brand going into China? Are you established? But the opportunities are there. And it is the upper middle classes and the middle classes in China But all too often, brands are really quick to judge and say, oh, my goodness, there's no inbound tourism. But there is a massive opportunity at the moment here in the UK. And there's a massive opportunity in China. But you've really got to know your customers. And they're changing every single day. Mm -hmm. And they will not be um, what used to work from a marketing standpoint doesn't work with them anymore.
0: See, that's really interesting.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Adam, I wondered if you've got anything to add to that. I think I'd only really pick up on, on what Domenico was saying about this kind of reshoring, I think, of, um, of overseas demand. I think um, Domenico is absolutely right that um, uh, uh, brands that dismiss the opportunity amongst um, consumers, tourists, or not so much tourists, but students, let's say, here in the UK um, are perhaps a little short-sighted. But the reality, of course, is that um, outbound Chinese tourism has has dramatically shrunk over the last Mm. uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, uh, That's not to say that Chinese uh, travelers are not going on holiday, Mm. Um, it's just that they're doing it domestically. Um, And actually, if you look at Chinese domestic travel, it's really led the world um, in terms of its post-pandemic recovery. Um, And and I I looked up some of the numbers before coming on the show today, um, and it's already surpassed 2019, um, mm-hmm. in terms of the, just the number of people that are moving around the country, the amount of money that's being spent domestically. Um, and this is, of course, as, as Domenica pointed out, um, is frustrating for a lot of international brands who perhaps don't have a stronger presence in the market as they would like, but also mm-hmm. opens up a lot of interesting and quite exciting opportunities in some new spaces that, uh, that the brands might not previously have considered, um if you look at a list of the top 10 destinations for for Chinese travellers from 2019 and then to 2021, um, one of the biggest movers and shakers within that time has been uh, a a little known tropical island or tropical uh, uh, island province, I should say, Hainan off the, off the South coast Mm. of China, which if you're a Chinese traveller, if you're a Chinese national, of course, is is, is not necessarily unknown, but from the, from an outside perspective, this is somewhere that, that often is, is kind of off the radar, but Hainan has, really taken off as a uh, essentially as a second Dubai um, mm. in the world it is a travel retail destination that has uh, is very, very quickly eclipsing a lot of the other major uh, duty-free shopping destinations around the world. Um, and the numbers there are just kind of off the chart. Um, the numbers of people going there, the amount of money being spent. Um, it is a shopping destination and this is where a lot of those premium and luxury shoppers that we're used to seeing, uh, walking up and down Bond Street here in London, um, are, are now going and spending their money in places like mm-hmm. this. And I think for brands, it's important to make sure that we are um, adapting to this new normal because, again, as Domenica pointed out, this is something that isn't going to be changing too much over the uh, over the next few months. Um, uh, outbound travel does not look set to resume until at least probably 2023 to any kind of uh, meaningful mm-hmm. number. Um, and I think brands really have to grapple with that reality. Yeah.
0: Act, um uh, for the foreseeable well that's heartbreaking because i'm just looking at pictures of finance now and i i want to go instantly so <laughs> you know, what's it you know you, you're based in singapore i wonder if you could maybe expand on what some of the kind of the the wider opportunities that, that our other guests have mentioned across asia are and sort of when should we start when should we expect people you know brands outside asia to really start making moves now
4: yeah, um, I would say I'm a China-Chinese. I was born and raised in China, but I just stayed in Singapore for the past 16 years. So as mm-hmm. uh, yes, I've crossed the experience with very country, I think from John, and everything mentioned about the um, China and India being the biggest consumer market is um, it's definitely is right smack to the point based on the population. But I think a few trend, I would say across the mega trend, just talking about this past, going to be two years for this uh, COVID period. A lot of countries focusing on domestic. And then I would separate the brands across different sectors, I would say. Mm. Retail, they are picking up only really uh, because I've been talking like maybe at the beginning of last year when I was talking to editors, they really want to work with us. But it's like, hey, we don't know. We are just so, you know, Mm. It's so uncertain. We don't know where, where we're gonna spend, where this shop we should do in the, the campaign, etc. Because those are the established brands. They already in the market, just, just they just need to run the campaign. But whether they want to spend this money, last year there are still a lot of things that is putting pu- pulling them back. Mm. But I would say this year they really back into the game because uh for a country like a uh, country like Australia, India. Uh, China itself is very resilient to this COVID. In terms of domestic, just you know, I would say <laughs> they block up by themselves, but uh, they have to self, uh, you know, re- rely on all the the market by themselves. But is um, it works at least since nobody how to you know take out from this COVID situation until today. And uh, apart from uh, China and India, Australia, the t- typical market I would say in the Southeast Asia. One of them, the front runner will be Vietnam. And just for an essential industry, I mean, essential product, like my client across there, produce all the milk powder from toddler to, to adults. People cannot get away from feeding the, the kids, right? So yeah. I have a client like, um, for example, the craft hands, they are doing the, the, the ketchup. You need to eat and mustard and every day. So those are the things at the domestic market, especially for this cross brand, they didn't really impact by this COVID. I would Makes say sense. that marketing on this is has been even increased than what we projected on the budget in the China, just one of the China market itself. And then for Australia, we thought it's going to be reduced. It's maintained quite well as um, what the number they provide to us. Mm. But I'm talking about the numbers of the marketing span versus 2019 to 2020. There isn't any of the decrease, actually, it's increased or maintained the same. So it depends really uh different industry and the pharmaceutical. They are one of the, the boomer in term of you know benefit from this uh, mega trend. And I would say for <laughs> merchandise, I am. In pharmaceutical, they already you know FMP made the code they've been already you know you know forbidden to give to the HCP the healthcare professional for years. But now they change the game. They mm. are shifting the budget mm. to the digital. To pretty a lot of my pharmaceutical uh, client, the procurement they're shifting the the category of focus on the digital part, or they shifting in the gift giving to their internal people, the sales force, because now the sales is visiting the doctor online. So they need to track with the technology how many times you're visiting the doctor online. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the things with this, this, this trend change, they integrate with all this technology as well. So I think every industry, um, they try and figure out and, and find the best way to survive. And then in terms of the global travel retail really is still impacted because I can see from the wine experience industry, people, just there's no more global travel retail for the spend. So they're all focusing on the on the so-called uh, uh, distributor or not get away from the on-trip sector. Yeah.
0: And then I think John, you've probably got quite a good insight into this. When it comes to marketing uh luxury products and services rather than kind of those commodified um products, what are some of the trends we're seeing across Asia then in terms of actually? I suppose, of brands coming in, whether they be kind of luxury or if that's, you know, if we're talking about travel marketing itself, what are some of the trends around luxury and kind of upscale products and services that we're seeing?
1: Um, well, I think the the biggest trend is, is how to communicate. And I think Fiona nails it in, in you know, I, I think in the UK and Europe, we're still way behind the eight ball on the transition, the digital transformation. And, and one of the great silver linings, I think, of, of pandemic has been um, the, the, the fact that digital transformation has to happen with those who were really behind the eight ball. And, and in terms of travel uh, and, and to luxury to a certain extent, uh, it, it, they have been pretty conservative and pretty traditional in, term, in terms of their marketing and spend. Whereas for travelers, we know, we, are, we get inspired, we search, we, we book uh, we navigate and we share. It's a digital medium, and and the accountability and the measurability on digital is is awesome. And I've always been impressed. To Fiona's point, I've always been blown away how far ahead China, Japan, um, Southeast Asia, etc., have been with digital communication, and so and so early the adoption of e-commerce and also social e-commerce. I, I think I'm being general, but I think. Traditionally, uh, and to answer your, your question a bit bit more, traditionally you've seen an older, over-50s market um, mm. travelling outbound from China and India, etc. We're, we're now seeing, or we saw pre-pandemic, uh, a, a shift to um, millennial and, and Gen, Gen Z, right? And they are driven by social, they're driven by influencers. The platforms and the apps all have this built in Mm-hmm. You have an influencer that recommends a trip, that recommends a destination. You have a price point. You have a buy now button. It's all all within, within a, 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 a nanosecond done on your mobile, right? And if you follow an influencer of a certain of certain note, hey, great, I, I fancy that, bang. We're so far ahead of yeah. the integration of platforms. We, we I think, are so, so far behind. In fact, the last study from Skift I saw only a third of, of, of players uh, in the Western world think they are on or ahead of the digital company, only third. And, and that's a question asked after pandemic. Mm. So we we caught up quite a bit during pandemic because we had to, because all the stores were shut and we all bought online. Um, um, but But now there's even more of a catch up to do so it's all digital and for, and for me the biggest trend is replicating a digital experience that mirrors a physical experience as much as possible we're not talking about a website we're not talking about a big ad we're not talking about any of that we're talking about great in digitally immersive content on digitally immersive platforms that echo and mirror the actual visitation or mm. experience as much as possible that's the way to do it and that's what we're doing at chemo Savvy.
0: see i think that's really interesting mm-hmm. I, I noticed that i Domenico in particular you were kind of nodding along to that so is that you know mm-hmm. so it's almost a world away from my experience of you know social commerce is that something that you're seeing a lot more interest in either from you know brands clients or even from consumers
2: Absolutely. I mean, I'd go one further and we don't even call ourselves a digital agency anymore. Mm. I mean, there is no offer online in China. That's the first thing. And here I still talk to brands that have a head of retail, head of digital, head of social. It's bonkers. <laughs> You've got one customer, one customer, and they want to... Interact with the brand in whichever way they want, which in China is invariably online. It's invariably social. It's about immersive experiences, exactly what John said, but it's about the use of AI technology. Uh, For example, if you go into pretty much any store in China and you want to buy lipstick, you don't try it on. That's far too unhygienic to have testers. You use AI mirrors. You do the same when you're trying on outfits. Um, And I expect when I go to China that I have the same experience in the Nike store in Shanghai as I would if I was online. And the chances are I won't even buy my product in the store. I will try them on. um, I'll go online. I'll have it delivered. The whole thing is just quicker. It's more in tune with what the customers want. And Gen Z particularly, it's all about peer group, um, influencer campaigns, immersive content, feeling they're part of a group of people that they belong to. And typically brands treat Chinese customers as a, a literally a lump of customers in an age bracket. It's ridiculous. Rather than actually looking at them by behavior and looking at them in terms of tribes and clusters and personas, which we've done, let's face it, for the last however many years in marketing, there is this sense of there's lots of Chinese consumers Let's just throw a load of mud at the wall and see what sticks. And of course it doesn't. So immersive experiences, the use of -of out-of-home technology as well is really important in China. Um, You know, video, social uh, influencer campaigns. But you'll find that the creative is the same. Mm. It's just formatted differently for different channels. But it's all about the narrative, right? It's all about what you're saying to that audience about the brand. It's about them feeling that they're part of a club. It's about them really understanding and interacting with that brand. And it really isn't difficult. I don't think it's it's complicated, but yet brands really struggle to get their heads around this. And I think the biggest challenge for me in the last, I'd say, two years is just because brands used to at least jump on a plane and go to China Mm -hmm. and see for themselves. And now... The only way that you can get across just how advanced China is in terms of experience for travel, for retail, um, any anything that, that is what we would call sort of like um, out-of-home spend, you know, like luxury spending, whether that be apparel, whether that be you're going away for the weekend, whether that be even literature and publishing has taken off in terms of, of digital sort of outreach. And it's very simple. Know your customer. And in China, they want an immersive experience and they don't care whether they've got that. Walking in the metro, in the tube system, whether they've been into a store, whether they've been onto Little Red Book, whether they've been onto Billy Billy, as far as they're concerned, they want the same experience, whether it's off or online. It's just one immersive customer experience. Mm. And I write about it a lot. And I mean, there's even influences that have taken off in China that are AI influencers They're not even real people. Um, And then obviously the takeoff of anime, which I don't really understand because I'm way too old. (laughs) Um, And Billy Billy that used to be purely anime type platform and is now a regularly used video platform. Things have shaped and moved at such a speed in the last two years in China. And this is what consumers want. Mm. So from a brand perspective, when the gates are open, if you want to say that, or the borders are open, what are they going to expect when they come to visit you? Anywhere yeah. in the world. So. Um, I can tell you they're not going to get
0: it. To the band, so, yeah. I see. That's that's really interesting. Sure. Adam, why then do you think that there is this, where, rather, where is the place for brands then in this kind of social commerce space? And why to date have we seen so few, I suppose, advancements in that, particularly with you know brands who exist primarily outside of Asia?
3: I think it can... Really, be summarised as as kind of brands resting on their laurels slightly, um, and and then there's a there's a degree of complacency and arrogance I think amongst a lot of particularly more established um, foreign brands that have, um, I think it's probably fair to say taken the Chinese spend for granted slightly. Mm. Um, there's a kind of uh, reliance on on a legacy of heritage or brand positioning or awareness. Um, uh, a, a, a not so much of a need to innovate and to accommodate um, the unique kind of shopping uh, demands and uh, channels that, that Chinese consumers um, uh, uh, use because they haven't needed to, because um, there's always been uh, a steady flow of, 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 of overseas spenders that have arrived on their doorstep and have kind of lapped up um a degree of, uh, of foreign spending um but that is changing for a whole variety of reasons it's partly to do with um with the pandemic and the kind of repatriation of spending that we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months um it's partly to do with the rise of domestic chinese brands and the competition that they pose because the quality is now um not just on a par with uh with the rest of the world but in some cases really innovating and leading in particular uh sectors and industries like beauty for example um it's also partly to do with a degree of um uh, of, of um I hesitate to use the word nationalism or patriotism but a kind of uh confidence let's say amongst chinese consumers to to no longer um uh, allow themselves to be treated in a way that um is um, quite often kind of uh, negligent, let's say, um, when it comes to uh, meeting Chinese consumers on their own um, on their own terms. And all of these kind of different factors have led us to a point now where um, we do see a lot of foreign brands that have historically performed quite well in China. have performed quite well amongst um, overseas spenders, um, uh, those brands now not doing so well uh, and finding themselves losing losing quite a lot of market share. Um, And what this does, of course, is it it has frustrated a lot of big brands and the ones that I'm immediately thinking of are brands like Nike and Adidas and uh, H&M, along with a bunch of other um, obviously kind of more luxury and premium brands that um, uh, I'm sure many listeners have heard of the kind of various um, uh, scandals that have happened over the last couple of years. Um, and what it does is it, it like I said, it, it closes off various opportunities for them, but it also opens up a lot of really exciting opportunities for brands that do grasp the nettle, so to speak, uh, and really start to invest in getting to know their customer um, uh, and, and the different faces that and different voices that their customer represents uh, and to create something that is genuinely um, uh, interesting and of relevance to to uh, a Chinese audience, um, uh, and brands that I think that have weathered that storm particularly well. Burberry is a, is, a, mm. is a very good example. They're a brand that has, again, historically kind of relied on a Chinese consumer for for a lot, for a large share of its income. Um, is in many ways quite a or has historically been a somewhat kind of old hat stodgy traditional British heritage brand but over the last few years has kind of gone through this massive kind of makeover on a global level but particularly with regards to China whereas now you you look at their kind of Chinese facing brand it still has kind of elements of its global DNA, but it also has a very, very specific China-facing identity uh, that really taps into emerging Gen Z trends uh, and consumer um, cultures and subcultures and communities uh, in a way that uh, I think uh, a lot of other brands can can really kind of draw inspiration from. So
0: then it just struck me then the impossibility of trying to have a conversation about trends across Asia in anything less than, I don't know a fortnight, but nevertheless, we'll try and and soldier on with this. And I wondered then, I don't know which of you wants to answer this first, but um, for those brands then, who are looking to really understand a, whether the Chinese audience or, you know, John, if you have, you know, recommendations for an Indian audience and they want to see those consumers, as you mentioned, kind of on their own terms with their own um, breakdowns in their own sectors and not just to some undifferentiated whole as potentially they have in the past what would be the best place for them to start, other than obviously going to you guys for your expertise?
1: It's marketing 101, Chris, isn't it? It's, whether you're in China, whether you're in India, or whether you're in Uzbekistan, it's marketing 101. You, you get to know your audience, and, and you don't do the shortcut of, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an Indian audience or Chinese audience. No, as, as there are in every, every market, multiple layers, as Domenica said. Um, earlier on. It's knowing, quantifying and qualifying your target segments, ranking them in priority of interest, engagement, value, um, etc. And then understanding the nuances between those That's the essence of marketing. Know, Mm -hmm. know thy customer. So, so, uh, and, and, you know, I I think, I think joint ventures, we've got a lot of companies on on the call today, great companies with offices within, within Asia. Um, So fantastic, because it's local knowledge. And so to joint venture uh, and to partner with those with local knowledge is pivotal. There's only so much That others can do you know from afar but you've got to have on on the feet you know we've got partners in south north america we've got a hundred production partners all around the world we rely upon them Mm. to to not only impart knowledge but also create we've just produced tons of content across asia over a month shoot in a country that wasn't allowing access now you try doing that without those partnerships and without those relationships Um, across across Asia. So we've managed to produce 40 films of great experiential stuff that we just talked about, um, w- which will be imparted on immersive digital channels. Um, so n- n- know thy customer, but also local, local knowledge. And to, to Adam's point earlier, you know, he was saying about, you know, that the brands that have tried and the brands that struggle. I, I know, for example, that Hyatt are not really that interested in, in, in Asia. Uh, a lot of the others are Hilton and, and the rest of the guys are mm. the big South American players, but Hyatt have gone public saying, you know what? No, no, the barriers to entry are too high. Mm. Um, the, the restrictions are too high and the local brands are really, really strong. Mm. So it's actually probably a bit too high. And there's huge opportunities for them in Europe and, and South America, where perhaps those brands maybe have, have great attraction. So, so that's a, that's a long answer to your question, but hopefully some, a bit of interest in it <laughs> no absolutely yeah, yeah and actually it's flagged up something i want to
0: ask fiona which is is there a perception that kind of the asian markets you know as diverse as they each are that they are kind of a, a, you know a huge wall for brands to scale to get into you know how difficult you know how, rather let me ask the question again do most brands still perceive asian markets as being incredibly difficult to break into then and you know is there an easy solution
4: um, I would say most of the global team, like being, they are interacting uh, most of the time is global procurement lead or marketing lead. This um, uh, depends on where they base and background. Mm. This thing, APEC is definitely, the, I I wouldn't call it emerging market anymore. It's definitely a lot of growth of the market, but they're having a challenge to really understand the local culture. I think maybe John, Adam, and Dominica the, the also connect in, what is the experience for the, for the local culture. But what I see this, how to tackle this is a combination for both. It's really from our connection of the network of different talent from, it can be anywhere. So now this uh, catalyst of the COVID, it doesn't mean you have to be in local, but local is, is critical because you need to adapt with the local culture or local team. To do this, for example, I'm taking Japan as um, typical culture, because Japanese is being Japanese, you know, the way of saying, because at times they're expecting they're interacting with Japanese only because they're expecting you have a local people, local setup. And um, to be able to, to talk to them in local language and local culture, their expectation is different because they say, you are Japanese, I'm Japanese, you know what I want, you cannot give me the foreigners uh, bracket things. But <laughs> yeah. for, for me, uh, I mean, my other colleague in UK, we work together with local team to tackle with speech with the client, mm-hmm. they are trying to, Be the awareness we are foreigners so sometimes the local culture give you uh in the asian way they call you give you a little face for those they say oh you are not japanese so it's okay we give you you know a lot of allowance for you to 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 get into community communicating with us Hmm. so i would say every country in asia pacific they are very open to communicate Hmm. and uh, but to understand to making the local culture look adaptation is very very critical especially with China being the second biggest um economy in the world now and then mm. for the normal consumer perspective I just for me I'm a China Chinese for my interacting with all my friends how they see these things especially on digital and how they see this because they don't really looking out as a western technology or culture as very advanced level they know okay. where they are so this is linked back to John and Dominica and Adam says, that's why they're expecting something even better than what they already have now in the market. Because um, for me personally, I have a challenge maybe seven or eight years back when uh, I travel back to China, I don't have a local bank card. It's already very difficult for me to pay for anywhere. I think mm. Dominica knows they, a lot of places they don't accept a credit card. so. They only have uh, one phone to pay, so which is making a foreigner travel quite challenging. Mm-hmm. I was talking to some of my uh, foreigner friends in Singapore. They travel to China. They're facing the same challenge. And then a lot of the vendors, I mean, very, very small. There can be a small selling of, bottle of water on the street, but they don't accept cash. Yeah. So for us, we are <laughs> grow up. I mean, I'm not exposing the cash, uh, age. I'm just saying cash <laughs> is king, but... In China, sometimes cash is not the king. Yeah. So that's the trend we really need to combine these two forces together to tackle to the market. I think that, and then, but you seeing this, a lot of, um, you know, the, the Western culture is really seeing the Asia-Pacific culture to respect the individual culture itself. And then to, to, to realize it's the time for us to have a different understanding of the, 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 the individual cultures as well. I see this trend that is happening now as well.
0: Nice, fantastic, actually quite an optimistic way of looking at it, I think, and then we've really gone through, we've rattled through as many questions as we can probably tackle without it getting too, you know, expanding to become a four-hour podcast, but just as a final question, I wondered if I could ask maybe Adam and Domenica, to what, Extent do we think that marketing and particularly kind of the expertise that you've spoken about here, and having that local knowledge and having it kind of translating it back up to national uh, to international level, to what extent is marketing going to really help ease the transition back to, I suppose, a non-pandemic world? You know, what role are kind of the the, the international brands playing in, I suppose, habituating consumers to kind of a, a new and safe normal?
3: I can jump in there first, America, unless you want to.
2: Oh, thanks for that, Adam. <laughs> I, I, I would, I, I'd like to reword that slightly. Oh, yeah, say absolutely. At, at what way are the consumers reshaping mm. the marketing, not okay. the other way around? So in other words, this takes on John's point, Fiona's point, and Adam's point about knowing your customer. And I think that's critical for any market in the world. But for China, it's more critical because they keep changing. So The consumers are changing every single day. And the way that they shop, the way that they buy, what they want to see, how they want to engage changes, the channels change, the channels evolve. Um, and the speed at which you get that information or that product or service to, to the customer is absolutely as critical as any marketing. So when quite often when I talk to brands, I will talk about their entire macro environment before I talk about marketing. Marketing almost has to come second. So how are you operationally set up? Can you even pay people in China? Can you employ people in China? All these things that we've talked about are actually, so the consumer will shape what you can and can't do in terms of marketing. So if you want to come out on top as a brand, you need to know your consumer, what they want and and, and, and what will trigger them to buy. And you need to make sure that you can actually Deliver on the promise that they want to be delivered, and that will then decide if the market's right. and if it is, then you need to commit to it. You need to either partner with somebody like us or you need to work with somebody in market. Um, so in order to come out the other side of Covid, anybody who is invested in the China market and is not researching their current customers and and doing social listening to actually see what their customers want is going to be too far behind. So it should be literally a daily thing, a weekly thing, a monthly thing. How are my consumers changing? What do they want? And that should drive your marketing, should drive what you say on what channel and how, not the other way around. And I think this is why some of these huge brands that um, Adam mentioned and John mentioned that have failed and the ones that have done well. There's only one thing in common with the ones that have done well. They know what their customers want and they keep asking them. What you wanted a year ago, six months ago, I know you don't want now. What do we to do, do, do to improve? And I'm telling you, it's not going to be the marketing. It will be, I want you to talk to me in a way I want to be spoken to at a time I want, in a way that I want. And I think that the brands are going to come out on top and actually already are. So you can sit there and go, the borders are shut. I'm doing really badly. Or you can go, well, there's opportunities. There's other ways of looking at this. You know, could I capitalize on those that are living and working in my in my home domestic market? Or what can I do to capitalize on, on domestic travel in China? And mm-hmm. so those that are doing really well have one thing in common. They know their customers. And it really is that simple, in my opinion. And um, the brands that we work with, that's where we start. Know their market, yeah. know what the customers want, and plan their marketing accordingly. Um, which is why... In my opinion, having a, a Chinese partner that only specializes in one channel is bonkers, because <laughs> every customer group you talk to, even in the same category, will hang out in a different place. So it's actually they're driving the marketing, your customers in China, not the other way around.
0: It's fantastic. And then Adam, you have the
3: the last word on that, I think. Oh well, I don't that was You
2: better go to the
3: album it's interesting because I think it's very good. I've both had the same gut instinct to your question, which was to flip it around. Um, yeah. and, and I do, I I would, I would agree with everything that Domenica said. I think that um, um, to kind of reiterate one of the points I made earlier, I think that whether it's in brand marketing, whether it's in geopolitics, I think there has been a, a, a an arrogance um, amongst um, non-Chinese um, audiences um, to kind of think, to kind of always ask, ask the question, you know, how um, how can we change China? Um, you know, how can we make them more like us? How can we foist uh, our own kind of brands and ways of thinking and, and what have you onto uh, onto the Chinese perspective? But the reality is that we should be asking the question: You know, how is how is China changing us? Um, and I think looking at the market for uh, for its uh, sheer size, as John pointed out, at the beginning of the uh, of our talk today, uh, looking at it for its uh, its innovation um uh for its just diet dy- for its you know pure and simple dynamism i think it's a space that we should all really be watching with a with a, a greater degree of uh, of intrigue um and i think that the brands as Domenica said that, that are going to be successful over the coming years are ones that are going to be doing that on a regular basis and um uh it's going to be a painful process but i think that the, the obviously the um the the upside um is is quite significant Nice, fantastic. Well, you mentioned kind of the arrogance of brands
0: there. I think it was the Drum Network's arrogance that let us think we could tackle this topic in anything less than, I don't know, a dedicated week long festival. So we'll have to get you back (laughs) to to talk about it in more detail. But for now, thank you so much to John, to Domenica, to Fiona, and to Adam for joining us for this. Thanks, Chris.
2: Thanks,